every day is Saturday. Hello, everyone. It's Coach Fab for Casinos USA podcast. And, you know, every day is almost Saturday. Some days are not so nice. And, you know, as many of our listeners are aware, we were off the air because we had um, a hideous crime in our family. One of our uh, the ch- uh, father of three of our seven grandchildren was murdered uh, outside his restaurant. And uh, the suspect has been uh, imprisoned and was waiting for arraignment and trial and all that. And uh, there's really no motive there. But... Because of that, we've been off the air since uh, December, early December, and we decided as a family it was time to go back on because everybody seems to enjoy it. And particularly uh, uh, my grandson, who was a dealer in Las Vegas for four years, and uh, he now has a hauling and trucking business there. He's not uh, a craps dealer, blackjack dealer, a baccarat <laughs> dealer anymore. But anyway, so... Because of the events, uh, the main part of our podcast today will deal with a road trip that we took uh, back to Las Vegas. He flew here immediately upon his uh, father's murder, and after all the events here were um, in somewhat control, including the celebration of uh, his father's life, um, he wanted to go back to Las Vegas. He's been he was away from his business for almost a month, and. Uh, he also wanted to take back um, some of the personal belongings of his father, you know, with the uh, agreement of his brother and sister who are staying to run the restaurant. Um, so I said, okay, um, let's let's see what we can do. We, we really didn't have a vehicle. We uh, one time had a Lincoln Navigator, but we gave that up because my wife said it was too big. We had the extra long one. Maybe it was too big. But we needed a big one, so we uh, were able to get a, a Tahoe. We rented it from uh, at the Pittsburgh airport. And I don't know if you'd be surprised by this or not. From the Pittsburgh airport to the Las Vegas airport, it's about 2,400 miles. We were able to um, lease the uh, Chevy Tahoe for $1,600. And we had five days. Mileage had... There was no thing about mileage. It was just all about the five days, and we had to return the vehicle to the Las Vegas airport. You know, so it was my intention um, that I would, you know, go with Patrick across the United States back to Vegas and uh, maybe stay a night um, on the Vegas trip myself and um, then fly back to Pittsburgh you know, within that five-day period, and this is what I did. We also had another member uh, of, along with us, I shouldn't say member, but another great friend along with us, and it was Patrick's friend from high school, who's now a professional musician. His name was Derek. And so, of course, I told him that I had always stayed at casinos, you know, every night I could on the way across the country. And uh, Patrick had some friends who had lived in Vegas and now lived close to the blue chip, Michigan City, Indiana. They lived right across the uh, Illinois state line, and they were willing to come and, uh, you know, have a dinner with Patrick, you know, talk about the good old days when they lived close to one another in Las Vegas. And uh, so that's what we did. We drove on the worst day of the winter across the country. We drove from outside of Pittsburgh to the blue chip in Michigan City, Indiana, 
And all I can tell you there is off the lake, the blue chip is literally right off Lake Michigan. And right off the lake, the wind chill was minus 21. <laughs> and salt wasn't working in the, on the radio and in the car. They're saying you should get off the roads. You know, roads are ice covered and salt's not working. And it's dangerous, etc. But hey, <laughs> we're on our way to the casino. So um, we got there. wasn't too bad. Um, it was a sunny day. That was nice. Walking from the car to... <laughs> The service stations on the Ohio Turnpike and Indiana Toll Road. Woo! It's a short walk, but, you know, at minus 10, 12 below because of the wind. Wow. Pretty rough. But anyway, so at Michigan City, um, before the friends from Illinois came for a dinner, uh, Patrick, Derek, and I decided we wanted to gamble. We were both staying in suites. They had a suite and I had a suite. <laughs> we lived it up that way. So um, we got great rates because the place was literally empty. You know? But uh, anyway, I learned a new way. I learned something about gambling, and I really want to share these with you. Um, Patrick said, well, I'm going to play slots first. And I said, well, how do you do that? He goes, well, I have allocated hundred dollars for slots and I said well that's pretty reasonable he goes yeah that's gonna be four spins I said what he said four spins so he was playing a machine it was $25 a spin and I thought wow so <laughs> I just stayed right with him to watch this one I figured he'd be going to the blackjack table real soon <laughs> and on the fourth spin he had a jackpot and he had to get hand paid he won $1,660 and uh wouldn't you know it? That covered the cost of the Tahoe. So I said, I said, well, maybe I'll just skip Blackjack, you know? And uh, he said, no, Pap, that's not how it's done. So he went on to the play Blackjack at $100 a hand, and he won another $1,200, $1,400. I don't exactly remember, but he plays a perfect basic strategy. He dealt high-limit Blackjack at the Strat at one time, and... <laughs> I want to tell you, he said, you know, he wanted a table with just one person. He doesn't, he said, it's also true in, in the high limit area. He said, a lot of the people that are blackjack purists and play basic strategy, they don't want other people at the table. They want boom, boom, boom. They want the game to really go. And he said, as soon as you see cards, boom, if you know basic strategy, you don't have to sit and ponder. You just go. There's no other uh, alternative. You know, don't play hunches. Don't think about it. What should I do? What should I do? Just go exactly by basic strategy and he says even then the casino has a slight edge and i think uh, mathematically it's a half a percent but nonetheless uh he was getting the cards he needed to get to you know get a little bit more than another thousand so he was coming out of uh the blue chip with 2600 so um he covered the cost of the dinner for the three of us and then his his friend and his wife so, and, and his friend's wife so it was wonderful, and we weren't sure if the Tahoe was going to start the next morning, um, but we, know, we knew that we could no longer go the northern route, that we had to go to Chicago and turn south on Route 57 and go all the way down to Arkansas and pick up Route 40. And where we stayed in Arkansas, they were having an ice storm, <laughs> which they barely ever do. We were staying in West Memphis. You know, we all think of Memphis, Tennessee. Well, the city spills over into Arkansas, 
you just cross the river there in uh, Mississippi, and you're in Arkansas. And there's one of the largest casinos outside of Vegas that I've ever been in, and it's called the Southland. And we got there. It must have been around 7.30 at night, and the parking lots were just ice-covered. It was, you know, raining ice. <laughs> it sounded like, uh, not like raindrops, but it sounded like chips of ice hitting your car. And they actually had a part of the building that you could drive into, and, you know, you were the car was protected. It was, the outside was open, but you could park inside. And I think that was available. It's normally for... Um, their uh, VIPs, that was available because there was nobody there. So we thought, boy, this is going to be an empty casino. I wonder if any table games are open. I wonder if the restaurants are going to be open. Well, to our surprise, there was um, security at the doorway. And they said, hey, gentlemen, hi. And I said, hey, we made reservations and all that. And they said, sure. And they said, just go this way. And we went through there, and I'm going to just stop in my tracks. What an absolutely gorgeous foyer. And there's 200 yards of casino floor. Again, two football fields long of casino floor. And there were all kind of people walking around. And <laughs> we didn't see a whole lot of people playing, you know, maybe a couple dozen. But, you know, even at the tables, there was a person there, a person here. But we saw these people walking around. And so we went to the registration area. Again, perfect uh, southern hospitality. Hey, gentlemen, so happy you had a safe drive and all that. And we said, where are all these people here? And they said, well, we have uh, approximately 600 people to run Southland Casino. And our management told them that they couldn't go home unless they took a sick day because they figured these people couldn't get back. <laughs> and so they were going to be given free room and free food. So they're just walking around enjoying, <laughs> enjoying the casino, but of course they're not allowed to gamble. But there were so many people used to saying, hello, how are you? It was like, it was like we just got into heaven, you know, hey, nice to see you guys. Hey, <laughs> oh, we hear your accent. Where are you from? You're from the East and all oh, goodness gracious. So that's where the real story <laughs> of how to play big and bet big at a casino and we each, again, had beautiful suites. Uh, I loved it. And I, I swear I'm going to go back with Janie, my wife, on a southern road trip. <laughs> so we're in West Memphis, Arkansas, at the Southland Casino, in the middle of a freezing rainstorm, <laughs> freezing ice on the roads. The state had maybe had the machinery to keep the highways clean, <laughs> but the local people didn't because they're just not used to this. And so we're going to go from there, and I'm going to tell you the events of that evening and some of these tips you can, you can employ in your own <laughs> gambling because they're rather interesting. Okay, a short break, and we'll be right back to start the 159th podcast, A Road to Vegas When It's Minus 21. <laughs> oh, goodness. So I asked Patrick, uh, where do you want to begin gambling here tonight? And uh, he said, well, as we were coming in, I, I saw those buffalo machines. I, I've never seen this kind. And uh, I looked at him. I said, we'll point to it. And, I, and then I said, I never saw that kind either. And it's actually a, like a large circle 
wide circle, you know, maybe six feet wide, with a machine on either side of the circle. And so the buffalo run, you know, <laughs> over the roof. It's all lit up, you know. And uh, he said, let's start here. And I said, well, what are you going to do here? And he said, well, I'm going to play $15 a spin on these machines. And he, he won, I think, just $300. And, <laughs> you know, and I said, you know, what's 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 your strategy? And he said, well, I don't play lower limit. I mean, he said, I'll play for, you know, five minutes, but I'm not playing lower limit because it's just a waste of time. I know that's not completely true, but that was his approach to slots. But we were going to blackjack, and I said, hey, since you're so far ahead, you're up, you know, you got 1,600 on Michigan City's progressive. You got another grand there playing blackjack, and he just won 300 years. So what are you going to do at the blackjack table? Why don't you just play minimum and have some fun? And he said, Pap, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point? He said, the truth of it is, people that go to casinos and play you know, at a special $5 rate or even a $10 rate, they're going to play a long time. And the longer you play, you, you're, you're fighting you're fighting the casino edge, you know, the house edge. And so he said, you must never win any substantial amount of money playing a $5, $10 game. He said, if you're getting the cards and you know basic strategy and you can play it perfectly as I can, you know, being a dealer... I had no options. I didn't. I couldn't go on hunches. <laughs> I had to know um, exactly how basic strategy worked. It's, I think, it's a little complicated. It's not just what cards you take, or when you stand. It's also when you're a player, what the dealer's cards show. Depending, that depends <laughs> if you take or you know stand, <laughs> if you get the other hit, you know another card or or what. So. You have to, there's a lot to learn with basic strategy. It's not as simple as some people make it. And then, you know, there's times when you split pairs. There's time when you double down. Um, there's just so many things that I'd just rather see him play. <laughs> and, I, and I would play blackjack, you know, at a table with friends, just like in a social thing. But um, they're not playing perfect basic strategy, so <laughs> I would fit in better. But... I said, okay, so you're going to go $100 here? He said, yeah, maybe 100 maybe 200 I just alternate, seeing how I'm taking money in. And I thought we were just going to stay there a little while. There was, uh, to my great surprise, they had two restaurants open. One was a steak and chicken buffet, featured steak and chicken, southern fried chicken or steak. It was 24-hour buffet. It's one of their things that people love about Southland especially truckers, you know, coming through. And uh, I said, man, that's where, that's where we ought to go. They said, oh, yeah, we all, they said exactly the same thing. We want to go there, but we're going to sit down for blackjack first. So we left Derek in the circle buffalo machine, right? And Patrick's blackjack. And I stood right behind him, and he was by himself at the table. He wanted a table where there was nobody else. He told the dealer, he said, um, I'm a former dealer from the Strat High Limit Rooms in Las Vegas. And, you know, I was there almost five years, a little over four years. And I just wanted you to know that. And she said, that's great. You know, and she, and she asked him some things about Vegas. He said, okay, let's go. He said, let's play as fast as you can. And she, and she said, Okay, and Patrick told me later that he was taught to play as fast as he could, particularly in a high-limit room.
So uh, the card would go down, bang, he'd just react to it. I mean, just instinctively react to it. There was just like no pondering, you know? Sometimes he split, sometimes he he doubled down. But, uh, you know, it was boom, 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 just based on what he saw, you know, with, with her cards and with his own cards. So, I mean, it it was like a sense of magic here for me. And this game, his best kept getting bigger and bigger because he was winning. And he ended up winning over $8,000. Over $8,000. And, you know, I'm talking and uh, it couldn't have been more than an hour and a half. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, he lost some hands, but, you know, he did that little Mortingale thing. <laughs> Because he was up far ahead, you know, and he just kept winning. He just kept winning and winning, especially the bigger hands, man. And so he threw her a couple hundred, and um, he said, hey, I'm a dealer. So <laughs> we're off to the buffet, all right? So at the buffet, you know, I've been married forever, you know. <laughs> I married my high school girlfriend, and Patrick's engaged, and Derek, good-looking single musician, <laughs> had just broken up with his uh, girlfriend of four or five years and kind of sad. So everywhere we went on a trip, I would ask, you know, um, an attractive young lady, I'd, I'd just say, hey, young lady, would you marry a musician? And I would point back to Derek, you know. We got some cool responses to that. But so the girl at the buffet was a really gorgeous young lady. And uh, I said, this might sound strange, but would you marry a musician? I pointed back to him, and she said, yes, absolutely. <laughs> His eyes lit up, you know, because we had been kidding him about some of the responses, like, I'd never marry a musician, that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> or my first husband was a musician, I hate that son of a bitch, you know, that kind of thing. But this young lady, gorgeous lady, said, yeah, absolutely. So uh, Derek had lost some money on the buffalo, <laughs> so he spent a lot of the rest of the evening talking to her because she was on duty till you know till daylight and uh she actually wanted him to write a song about her and send it to her and she would share it to all her friends and then Derek is performing in the Florida Keys every spring break he gets a lot of nice gigs he's really talented and she actually said you know maybe she'd come down there with some of her girlfriends <laughs> it was a lot of fun and the steaks, I want to tell you, if you're ever down at Southland, I didn't have the country fried chicken. Uh, I had the steaks, and uh, they were unbelievable. I mean, this is a, most buffet steaks don't taste like this. is like a steakhouse steak, right? You can get as many as you wanted. It, um, the bill was $80 for three of us, you know, so it was a, the price was right, too. <laughs> yeah. um, my goodness, just what a deal. So afterwards, I said, Patrick, now promise me you're not going to give this money back. He said, Pap, are you going to go up now? I said, yeah. And it's getting, you know, 1130 at night or so. And I, I said, what's up here? And what do you want to do now? And he said, come over to the ball road table with me. And I said, okay. It wasn't too far. I walked over and he, it, he was by himself. And he sat down again. He said to the woman uh, dealer, the female dealer, he said, I'm a former dealer myself, and then they talked about Vegas, etc. And she said, okay, you ready to go? And he said, yeah. And he said, he gave her um, $1,000 of his chips that he still had from the blackjack, <laughs> his $8,000 win there, 
put a thousand dollars on player and I said Patrick he goes this is this is the only play in one hand win or lose I said that's not true and he goes oh, maybe it's not true but that's what I want to do so <laughs> he wins he wins on player and it's a real quick win too boom 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 there were no extra cards down <laughs> he wins she pays him hundred dollar chips and he throws her a hundred dollar chip and says you didn't work real hard but I'm a dealer so I understand <laughs> so now he's over $9,000 at Southland. So I don't know what time they came in. They had a suite attached to my suite. And my suite, I want to tell you that everything in it was just top shelf. It was fantastic. But I learned a lot. And, you know, this question about um, what's the point, what's the point, like trying to play long but playing at very low limits can actually be counterproductive. I think that was one of the lessons I might have learned. Whether I'm going to live by that, I don't know. But um, that's one of the lessons I learned at Southland. And I wouldn't sit down to play blackjack for any serious money until I became not an absolute expert, but very proficient with basic strategy. I think if you consider yourself a blackjack player and you don't play basic strategy... Wow, <laughs> you're not really a blackjack player. Right? <laughs> I used to say the same thing about craps. You know, I used to say, um, if you just play the pass line and you never play the don't pass, no matter how cold the table is, you're, it's like playing the piano with one hand. You know? <laughs> and I think it's true if you're playing blackjack without being proficient in basic strategy. Um, it can be a fool's game. And, you know, some of these blackjack tables, the house edge is a half percent. But some of them make 16%, 17% for the casino. It's people playing when they're intoxicated and they have no idea about basic strategy. Makes it all the worse. Okay, a break, and we're going to talk about a very reflective time <laughs> of our trip. There was a book uh, I loved in the late 60s called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Mechanics. And it was about a father-son ride across uh, the country on a motorcycle. And uh, there was a lot of reflective time that we had discussions and we want to talk about some of the things that was said. So we'll be right back after a short break. So the next morning at 6 a.m., we left the Southland Casino in West Memphis, Arkansas, and we were on our way to Amarillo, Texas, and it looked to us, map-wise and GPS-wise, that we were in for possibly a 10 or 11-hour drive, and <laughs> my partners, Patrick and Derek, who had come in probably at 3 a.m., <laughs> that's what they could remember, um, only getting a few hours sleep until I made them get up, <laughs> by uh, pounding on the door, um, I drove first. And fortunately, just like every day of the trip, it was sunny. It was sunny and cold. But um, the Southland is literally just like a block and a half off of Route 40 West. So it was easy to get on it. Once we got on it, the roads were bare. You know, obviously the state had the machinery they needed to clear the ice off the roads. And we were on our way to Amarillo. And of course, when Patrick uh, woke up between his snooze, he put on, on his uh, 
on his phone. He has an extensive library of music, Amarillo by Morning. They kept playing it over and over again. Remember that song, Amarillo by Morning? <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. And um, then the boys woke up and um, they began to talk about their fathers. Jeez, uh, this was, uh, I didn't say much at all. I just listened. Patrick talked about memories he had with his father um, who was taken from him just three weeks earlier. And Derek had lost his father um, two years ago. So um, they told stories, and I just loved it. And they, they must have talked about 35, 40 minutes. And then they started to talk about commitment and love and marriage. And they thought that, they said, Pap, you're a dinosaur. I mean, you married your high school girlfriend, and you've been married all these years. And, you know, how does that happen? And so we got into a spiritual deep discussion about it and I it just came to mind I wasn't prepared for it but I just it just came to mind and I said I want to start with the word body count and when young people use the word body count and if you're on social media you'll you'll pick this up right away they talk about the number of um, people they've slept with you know it's not a problem for a young lady to say oh, she has a body count of 12 yeah <laughs> and she's uh, 20 years old I mean it just and, I, and they just looked at me like, and so, and so, and I said, and so, the word body count to me is a reference to dead soldiers. You know, um, I was coming of age um, during the Vietnam War, and I had friends in Vietnam. And so after every skirmish or major battle, the news media would report the body count. And so there was maybe 82 American soldiers. That was the body count. And then the body count for... The North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong, which was the People's Army, the rebellion within South Vietnam, um, that was usually much higher, sometimes 10 times higher. In fact, the body count for the entire war, um, of course, the Vietnam Memorial in D.C., more than 55,000 Americans lost their lives in South Vietnam. But the body count for the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong was 10 times higher. They lost over half a million um, of their people. And you think about that, and um, I just can't get past that word body count thinking of anything else but that. And I, I, would, and I said, you know, it's not an esoteric thing, but freedom and commitment seem like they're something you can't deal with. But... I'm saying the, the deepest love is is that relationship that you have. And, you know, I don't know if you're pursuing a harmonious, loving relationship, but that's what I think people of my generation wanted. You know, they wanted marriage and they wanted children and, and they wanted this harmonious, loving partner and they wanted to be co-equals in that. And... They knew that there was inherently, um, I'll call it collective responsibilities, and and so we talked about that. And it, they're sort of uh, intersections of spirituality and marriage, you know. So we really went deep into the connection of life and marriage, and how it opens doors to spiritual connections and shaping the understanding of love and. 
the connections you make from there, you know. I asked them if they loved their dogs. I love my dog, and I said, that's that's a very strong love. That's a great bond. But and I, and I told them, in fact, I always say if I if my dog Oliver goes before me, I want him in his ashes placed in my casket. I love that dog so much, and he's 12 years old. So, but a parent who loses a child, it's 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 not a dog. It's devastating. It's so we had this discussion, sort of a transformative kind of discussion about our shared beliefs and where we differ and so on. And he came down a lot of times to um, to music. And so, you know, listening to their music for 95% of this road trip, I said, look, let me give you some of the doo-wop songs because I had them on my phone <laughs> and the Bluetooth was connected down. And he said, okay, I said, I'll give you 10 love songs from you know, the 60s and 70s, and they agreed, you know, it's, they're all about love, and, and the songs today really aren't necessarily about that, and I said, that's just how we thought that, and they thought that was special, they thought that was precious, and it, it was a very, very deep time that we shared together, and all three of us had mutual respect and appreciation for the other's values, and I'll, I'll cherish this road trip for the rest of my life, it was I would encourage uh, any grandparent out there, if you're able to travel with uh, adult children and discuss things like we did, it's just precious and special. So Amarillo, Texas was about sleeping, <laughs> and we knew from this point we were going to go on a 12-hour trip to Las Vegas, and we'll catch that up in our next podcast. I want to close out today, though, with something that happened in New Jersey, and it's probably going to be increasing, you know, as, what is it now, 36 states have legalized gambling, so it's, uh, if it's not in your state yet, it may be coming in your state. So hang on, I'll be right back just for a short announcement that's been in the news. Okay, so uh, this is from the Associated Press. It comes out of Atlantic City, New Jersey. It was ruled in a federal court that Atlantic City casinos have no legal obligation to stop compulsive gamblers from betting. A judge ruled dismissing a lawsuit from a self-described problem gambler who accused the Borgata and its parents' company, MGM Resorts International, of plying him with offers in the mail to gamble despite knowing about his addiction. United States District Court Judge Madeline Cox dismissed a lawsuit by Sam Antar against the gambling company, saying that the voluminous rules and regulations governing gambling in New Jersey do not impose a legal duty upon casinos to turn off compulsive gamblers. You're a compulsive gambler, um, and you gamble and lose everything. You're responsible, not the casino. That's how it is in New Jersey. And if it's not that way in your state, it could be coming that way soon enough. So I hope that uh, my Saturdays become the Saturdays I talk about when I say every day is Saturday and that wonderful feeling that you wake up with on a Saturday morning. And I hope your Saturdays stay that way always. And we're going to close out today with uh, a song that I heard about 40 times <laughs> on our 
11-hour ride to Amarillo, Texas. Great song by George Strait. Janie and I want to thank all of our listeners who gave us their thoughts and prayers in this tragedy that we survived. And we'll never get over the loss, but uh, we'll do everything we can to help our grandchildren enjoy the rest of their lives. Thank you. God bless you all.